passage today is Mark 31 through 35, and that is on page 838 of your house Bible. So if you would stand with me, I will read you a little along. And that's Mark 331 through 35, and that's on page 838 of your house Bible. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Can we keep them up? I'll pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for making us your sons and your daughters through Jesus, for making us a new kind of family. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to your instruction. Be with Kevin as he dives into our rhythms and identities as your family. I pray all this in your name. Amen.
who we are to be. We then live, we do out of that. And that is what leads to living a life in light of the gospel. It glorifies God. It brings us joy. It's no be do. And we can't afford to get that wrong. Now we'll get back soon to our study through Matthew. But for now, we're in a brief vision series that we've called Identities and Rhythms. Now we ourselves at Cars call ourselves a gospel community on mission. And so far we've seen a couple identities that are learners and worshipers that flow out of the gospel. And today and next week, we'll look at two that flow from community. But first, as we talk about us, we, we have to see how it first starts out in who God is. So let's take who God is. Why did God create us? Was it because he needed help? No. Was it because he was lonely? Definitely not. Why is that? Because God has always lived from eternity past in community. God is community in and of himself. He's trinity. Right? Three in one. Father, Son, Spirit. In unity and love. It's always been that way. One God. Three persons. Each equally God. And this was way before God ever created well, then why did God make us? Well, to let that community overflow, to share that love, to let us experience it. So before we go any further this morning, we have to understand this basic idea that God is community himself. When we talk about imaging God, we do that as individuals, but we also do it together as we walk in unity and love as the people of God. Well, take what God has done. In the gospel, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, God has brought us back to Him. Fellowship with Him has been restored, but that's not all that was accomplished. Our fellowship with one another has also been knitted. The gospel not only has a spiritual component, vertical, it has a social one, a horizontal one. So by God's grace, for His glory, we get to be one. We can experience love together again. And that leads to a couple of identities. And we'll take the first of those today. But first I want to jump right back into the passage in Mark chapter 3. Mark 3. So first catch what the crowd says. So Jesus is teaching, it seems, in Galilee. The crowds surround listening um, when his earthly family shows up. We're not sure exactly where it is. It sounds maybe like they're at the, the door knocking and someone goes there. And they come back and tell Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking. So, hey, Rabbi, your mom's at the door, your brother's too, they want to see you. Now, in a communal culture like that, family was really important. And at this point, they don't really know for sure who Jesus is. So they expect Jesus to likely do what a respectful Israelite in that day would do. But what he does catches them off guard. So second, see how Jesus responds. In verse 33, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? So what they're probably thinking, are the people at the door lying? Is this teacher really going to disown them? But then he explains, verse 34, says that he looks at those around them, around him, and says this, here are my mother and my brothers. And he goes on, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So this is a really shocking statement. I think we feel that they especially would have felt it then. Jared Wilson says this serves as both a watershed and a foundation. A watershed. A turning point. A dividing line. 
Many people then and today would say they want to be friends and they want to be family with God. That they think of God like their father. Jesus says here, those who are family with him are those who obey God's will. Or as Luke's gospel puts it, they are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus also those laid a foundation for, for what? For a new family. For the family of God that's built around him that expands through him. We who live to do God's will, not through our own effort, but by his grace alone, we become a part of the family of God. The family, yes, all people, all times, all places, this big universal family of those who believe. But we also come together in specific times, in specific places, in small local families like Carl's. So we have this identity, our third in this series, we are a gospel family who live and care for each other. We are a gospel family who live and care for each other. Carlos, this is who we are. We're a family together. Now this is common terminology today, workplaces um, that are trying to create a, a culture of, of care, of love. Hey, we're like family together. Maybe you're on an athletic team and people talk about being a group of brothers together. Now, I frankly cringe when I hear that, especially as it comes out of the mouths of Christians. Because for us, there's only one group of people beyond those at our home that merits that title of family. And titles like brother and sister, they should be used freely, they should be used regularly, but they should be reserved for those among the family of God. Language, it reflects reality, right? But it also shapes reality. I shouldn't call Aaron or Bobby man or dude, but brother. I shouldn't call their wives, Caitlin and Laura, anything other than sisters. Because it reminds me, it reminds us that we're family together. We should save those other labels for the people in the, the checkout lane. Family is what we are, church. That's what he brings us into when we're saved. God adopts us if we believe as his own. If we trust in him, it's because we've been made born again into his family. So those twin truths of adoption and regeneration, they communicate family. He's our father. And by faith alone, Again, to a faith that wants to obey, but we become his sons, we become his daughters, family together, even brothers and sisters of Jesus. Household is a common term in the New Testament to refer to the church. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're a part of God's household, his family together. That is why Jesus in the Gospels and the Apostles in the letters refer to fellow believers again and again as brothers and sisters and why we should too. We're family. It's our identity. It's who we are. Back in 2020, we walked through a series looking at the different metaphors for the church that are used in the Bible. And we spent a week on family. But I said then, and I still think now, that family is, is far more than a word picture. I like the way Lee Eklod puts it. He writes, Almost always, the description of the church as God's family is regarded as a metaphor, like the bride, field, or temple. But it isn't really a metaphor at all. 
God's household is the very definition of the church. We're not like a household or family. We are one. Now, if this is true, if we're family together, I think that points to a couple of really important things. Relationships, commitments. Take relationships first. We're talking about kinship here. We're related. Ephesians chapter 2 goes on after that verse we just read and says in verse 22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You can say a lot of things about worship there, of course. But if, if we believe, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as I've said time and time again up here in Paris, if as we say blood is thicker than water, Spirit goes much deeper than blood. He, the Holy Spirit, unites us in Jesus. He brings us together in Jesus. Not around other leaders, not around other causes, but Jesus. What brings together the, the groups of this earth? Primarily affinity. What brings us together? Beauty. The person of Jesus. The truth of what he's done for us. That's what the Spirit of God does. D.A. Carson explains it this way. He writes, Ideally, however, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this, common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So we who otherwise wouldn't have that much in common, and who might not even like each other at all, we come together as brothers and sisters because of Jesus. And we don't just choose to put up with one another. We pursue love. We experience closeness in Christ. So this is kinship, but it's also closeness. So think about our, our earthly families, at least the healthy ones. We can be ourselves in our homes. We can let our hair down, so to speak. Our family knows us at our best. They know us at our worst. We can be authentic. We can be real. We can be open with one another. That's God's plan also with the family of God. I love the words of 1 John 1 um, that I'll be coming back to a lot over the coming months. But 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's all talk about light. What does that mean? It's honesty. Honesty with God, not pretending. Open before him. Honesty with one another. Authenticity with those around us. Closeness. Where we're completely known, and we're fully loved. That's what we're made for in this family. Deep relationships, closeness. But tragically, that's not what so many of us experience in church today. We try to put on masks and keep them on. We try to evade the light to stand over outside of its beam. 
When trouble comes, we head for the hills instead of walking the hard road and working things through, and we miss out. Andy Patton, an author and a friend of mine, talks about three layers we have to recognize in community. Three layers. Civility, conflict, and accord. Civility, conflict, and accord. I think we have a graphic for that. Too often we stay at the top layer. We're, we're civil. We smile away. We show others the best sides of us. Um, this is the layer of similarity. So we have civility up here. Similarity. The middle layer is where conflict comes. Where we experience difference. Where we run into disagreements. Where we get hurt or offended. Disappointed. Misunderstood. And we have a choice in that second layer to go deeper or not, but we so often choose not to, and scatter. Well, if we decide to stay, we grow, and we end up in the third layer. So we have civility, conflict, accord. This is where true community happens, where blessing is found. It's as Patton puts it. It's rugged and weather-beaten and sweet as birdsong. It is innocent again, but it's become rich with wisdom. It holds memory, but not resentment. It has learned again how to laugh. It releases the poison of the second layer's pains, but retains the gifts that truth discovered there. So working through those things and getting the true community, it's hard. It takes bravery, but it's worth it to walk in the light to have relationships that are marked by closeness, to experience true family, but we so often settle for less than that. In the words of a great American poet by the name of Drake, <laughs> a relationship without trust is like a phone without service. And what do you do with a phone without service? You play games. What about you? What do you do? A family means relationships, but its second also means commitments. It means partnership. And it's so integral to closeness. As John Mark Comer puts it, intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. Intimacy only resides in the safety of commitment. We could talk a lot today, even though our society devalues marriage, just how whatever terminology we want to use, for people we're dating or living with or whatever it is, it's not a safe place for intimacy because the person can always leave. That's why marriage and covenant are so important. And it's also the same for the church. Now, we're born into earthly families. You know, we don't have much of a choice in that. Really none, right? And there's, of course, a sense in which we're here by God's choice, by His sovereignty. But God wants you, wherever you're at, to find a church, to call it your home, and make yourself a partner in what's going on. To not go on, as we sometimes say today, on this quest for to find community, but rather to dig in and do the hard work of building. That's why we put emphasis on membership here in Cars. And we would encourage you to join a church, even if it's not here, wherever you are, as long as you're there. Tell a group of elders you want them to care for you. Look at those around you and tell them that you will look out for them. Don't just sit on the sidelines as a neighbor, keeping people at arm's length. Become a brother or a sister. Don't just be a boyfriend or a girlfriend and keep your options open. Covenant with the community. Marry yourselves to them for as long as God keeps you there. Don't just be a consumer, but be a partner. 
When we talk about commitments, though, we're also talking about priorities. So partnership, priority. Again, this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. It's hard to grasp, but he's saying that the family of God is a higher priority than his mother and brothers. And this is at a time that value family way more than we do. The church that he forms becomes his first family, and it should be ours. As I said earlier, for family, it means that we live and care for one another. It's our biggest priority. Too much of the time, the family of God today is something that we get to if everything happens to work out, if we happen to have some extra time. And this has gotten much worse due to COVID. But it's meant to be, with Jesus himself, the most important thing about us It's meant to be our community. It's meant to be our mission. And out of other things, no. But you, you may say that you don't know how that could possibly work. You have way too much going on in your life. We've shared this graphic for years in Karis. It comes from a book called Total Church. Where we can think of church, first of all, like this. Where church is something that we juggle. Right along with work and fun and school and the like. And so we're juggling all these things. We can barely keep up. We don't know how to do it. So things drop, right? And often it's, it's church because we don't get a paycheck there. You know, we don't, you know, it often drops. Or we can look at the picture like in a second where, where we see ourselves as family, as persons in community with family as the center. So we're there together. In the middle. We help one another figure out how to relate all those other things to the center. We take on those important things together. And then we also know that we only that those things only find their proper meaning when we have the center right. And yeah, that includes our family. That includes our kids, our spouses at home. So for the good, for our good, for the good of those around us, especially God's glory, we need to recapture what this means that we're family together. Language matters. The church isn't a building, it's a people. Church isn't an event, it's a gathering. I prefer to never ask someone, what church do you go to? But what church are you a part of? I think it matters. It communicates things. Here's how Will Basham puts it. He says, if in our minds church is a building, we'll go to it. If in our minds church is an event, we will attend it, and we'll shop around for the most pleasant experience. But if in our minds and in our hearts church is a family, we won't go to it, and we won't shop for it, we will belong to it. But I want to think a little bit about what holds us back from this. And I think the first thing, especially today, is our quest for freedom. Our commitment to autonomy. Tim Keller has spoken quite a bit about this, and he talks about how we all want community until it gets in the way of our agenda. But then he says we can't have absolute freedom and have community at the same time. They don't, they don't go together. We all want these relationships, but we bristle at the commitments. So mention community, and we all raise our hand, but bring up accountability, and that turns into a fist pretty quick. But Keller offers these additional words. They're blunt, but he, he says he's speaking them to 20-somethings today. And, and it's not just them that need to know this. It's all of us. He says, you are the generation most afraid of real community because it inevitably limits freedom of choice 
get over your fear. That's what he said. Second, think about fear and how that limits this kind of family. Yeah, there is a fear of limiting our options, of missing out. We talk about that a lot. But I'm talking about a different kind of fear of being truly known. That's so much what keeps us from breaking through that second layer and getting to intimacy. Or keeps us out of the soil entirely. Often Will Walker says, this is how we normally choose to live. Keeping people close enough to enjoy, but distant enough to impress. Well, that's, that's well put. Close enough to enjoy, but distant enough to impress. Think with me about what comes as a result. If we resist being a part of the family, we hurt ourselves. It's, it's a fear of hurt that makes us run, and we might get hurt. In fact, we no doubt will get hurt, because in intimate relationships, we all know this from home, we will. Right? They open us up to hurt, but they open us up to healing as well. And being alone hurts far more. It's the fear that keeps us from being known and from being loved. We harm ourselves. We second dishonor Jesus. It's, it's cool, it's sexy today to talk like this. You know, I sure love Jesus, but I can't stand his church. Right? You've heard that, you've probably said that. I felt that at times. But see what Jesus thinks of his church here in this passage for today, right? He says something here. And he gave his life for her, for us, his body, his bride. That's what Jesus thinks of his church. We can't love Jesus and hate his bride. Say that about my wife, and I'm going to get hacked, right? We dishonor him when we say that. Shouldn't we rather, for our good, for his glory, embrace his family, lean into that identity? That's what his desire is for us. But I want to encourage you. Here's what we have to understand. The body of Christ has always had its issues since it began reading church history. That reminds us, of course, it's not about us. It's about his grace. You may resist the church, but you will still choose the family. And it's not going to be more gracious. You know, The lack of meaning that we have today after trying to remove the church... The lack of community so many people experience today. That's what's causing people to congregate in these crazy tribes on the extremes and throw rocks and stones at each other. That's what's happening. People are finding community. It's just not good. And Jesus promised back in the day that he would build his church, that the gates of hell would not prevail over it. God is still working in and through his family. We were made for this, for the family of God, the family that lives to do God's will. Now, I want to transition now. Each of these identities, who we are, um, they lead to a rhythm. And it goes along with it. What we do, how we live. Here's our rhythm that goes along with, with family. We regularly eat meals as a family, inviting others into the community of God. So, eating... That's my love language. Maybe it is yours too. Maybe you can tell. Maybe that gets you excited. But we're talking about more than food here. It's a picture. Food needs something in the Bible. You have all the festivals, all the feasts that Aaron was talking about last week. Meals have great significance from the Passover to the Lord's Supper that we'll celebrate in a bit to the great wedding feast at the end, really the beginning. As God's people, we should be regularly sharing meals together. But those times around the table, again, they represent something. A couple of things here I want to give you. First, they, they mean fellowship. 
fellowship. Why did Jesus get all the grief from the Pharisees about hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners? It wasn't because of the food or even the drink. He was communicating something to them. He was saying, I want to commune with you. I want to get to know you. I want to love you. When we come together regularly in our homes, in our cities, laughing together, crying together, enjoying each other, sharing life with one another, that's what we're communicating. Eating together leads to fellowship. It leads to deep, meaningful community. So I get these deals show hospitality. Welcome. That's what hospitality is. That's the other thing that Jesus was communicating to these Gentiles that was making the Jews so mad. As we open up our homes to one another, we picture this welcome that God shows us in Christ. As we open up our lives to people far from Jesus, we show them the welcome God gives us in the gospel. So hospitality toward the people of God, as well as toward those outside the faith, is a powerful picture of the grace of Jesus. A lot of times we, we make um, sharing our faith extremely complicated. We'll be talking about this in the, the coming weeks, but one of the most simple things we can do is just say, hey, I want to have a meal with you. I want to get to know you. And that'll open up doors and opportunities to go to the story of God. Eating, these times of sharing fellowship, showing hospitality, should be a regular rhythm of our lives as Christians in the family of God. Well, I think application again. What would have to change for us to do this more? We, we first have to lay down our lives, and it's not easily, especially as busy as we are today. Um, we're going to talk about service next week, but one of the most basic ways we can serve is by just giving each other our time, our ears, our hearts, making a meal, welcoming people in. We'd second, yes, have to open up our homes. We too much today treat our homes like personal sanctuaries instead of places of welcome. It's gotten worse during the pandemic. I felt that. Our homes are not primarily meant to be our personal space. They're gifts of God. Yes, for us, but for our neighbors, our friends, for the last, the least, the lost. And, and I know we have singles here today. Um, you have an incredible opportunity as a single person. Don't, don't, don't wait until your situation changes if it does, but you have this opportunity now. Maybe if, even if your apartment is small, you do. Or you can take the hospitality to them. Ponder what would happen, though, if we oriented our lives like this. If we did more eating together, um, we might gain some weight. We might get thicker. Um, our fellowship would get weightier. Right? Our community would first deepen. More commitment, more relationships, that would result. We'd more and more live as family together. But our, our community would also widen. The family would grow. If you actually look up the, the word for hospitality in the original language, Greek, it means love of strangers. Hospitality in the Bible, it does seem to start with the family of God, but it's meant to bring in the world. If we open up our homes, to those far from God, they not only hear, but they would see and they'd experience the gospel in our welcome. If they saw us, the people of God, living in community together, they might say, hey, I want to be a part of that also. So the eating not only blesses us, it blesses the world. So I want to give you a different picture. Imagine our homes more like sanctuary cities. 
where hurting people can flee for safety, for love. More like cities of refuge where people can run for healing and hope. Like a few weeks back, I want to close with seven probing questions that may help you as you try to apply what I've said today. First, do you see this kind of commitment Jesus calls us to in family, in you? And what might be holding you back? This is a me saying this. Read Mark 3. This is Jesus. Second, are you pursuing the kind of relationships that fit with family? Why or why not? What might be holding you back from that? Third, is your life oriented around fellowship with God's people? In what way might you be replacing that with other groups? Fourth, is your life open for hospitality toward other Christians in the world? What do you think is keeping you from that? Fifth, how might hurts from your family or from the family, the church, be keeping you from running after what we see here? And what are you going to do about that? Because I understand that, but Jesus still calls us to his bride. Sixth, in what ways are you trying to do faith on your own? What would have to change for you to reprioritize God's people again? And seventh, which really fits with the whole series, how might you be trying to get God to approve of you through your behavior or this person you create? How are you not instead living in light of who he is and what he's done? So yeah, back to that original equation. Who God is, what he's done in the gospel, that leads to family. That's who we are. If we're family, we're committed to one another. We're, we build relationships with one another. It leads to a rhythm of eating with one another, meaningful fellowship, rich hospitality, where we link up our lives, we share our ups and downs, and it's a beautiful thing. That's what we do if we're Christians. Maybe you've not had that experience in your earthly family. Maybe that's left you with a long I can relate to that in a lot of ways. But that can be a good thing because it points us beyond that to the ultimate primary family. God has made us for that. For this family that will go on forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. Hear me also, Jesus understands. Back in Mark 3, verses 20 and 21, we didn't go into the why our Lord's family was looking for him in the first place. But it's relevant. They're confused. They're concerned. In verse 20, it says, they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. We need to get him out of this. We need to set him straight. When your parents tell you, you're not going to Brazil. That place is crazy. They have people with machine guns everywhere. Probably just worked against the trip there. <laughs> when your family lashes out, um, when you're trying to obey God's word, when you're trying to do what it says, um, Jesus gets it because he had to endure that as well. Right? He had his parents say, are you crazy? What are you doing here? Here's the truth. That when we give ourselves to him, and also to the family of God, we're finally in the right place to truly love our nuclear families well. Because we're secure in who we are. We know what our lives are for. Our parents aren't our saviors. Our siblings, our spouses, they can never fill this void. So, as we move into the holidays, they're coming. We can sing a Christmas song this morning, which I hope we do that song more. I love that. Mm -hmm. Here's a reason for Thanksgiving. 
We have Jesus. He's given us this new family. In Christmas, our Savior is born, but soon after, His church is birthed. And those are His greatest gifts to us. Jesus' family, they eventually got it, right? And we'll pray that ours someday will too, if that's you. If that's not you, praise God. But why can't let's love and give ourselves for His church? Let's make it our forever home. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for the gift of your body. Uh, Lord, give us um, the grace, the courage um, to not give up, to really build um, in your strength what you've um, this gift uh, with one another. Help us to burst through because of our fallenness. Um, trouble, hurt, and get to real fellowship in you. May us be a place, I think we have been, and I praise you, but may us continue to be a place where we're known to be a family together, and we pray that that would just be a, a picture of the world of who you are and what you've done for us.